morning everyone. Welcome back to Chit Chat and Chai with Ritu, RC, and Mala. We are just so overwhelmed with the support and the comments that we received from our last episode. Just because of that, I think we may have a part two to this. And what we're going to do is maybe have the mom talk a little bit more. And how about the kids ask us questions? How does that sound, ladies? That would yeah. be great. Yeah. Well, also, ladies, I didn't get to ask you in the last episode. After your children came out to you and told you, did you happen to see a change in them? Did you observe any change? Absolutely. My son is very good at keeping feelings to himself, but... I could see the difference that once it was all out in the open, he's um, so much more relaxed. He's a lot happier. And um, I, I just see that stress that has come off of his shoulders. Definitely see the improvement. And it's nice to see him being so comfortable and happy now. Same here. Definitely our relationship improved. Just knowing that she was no longer carrying this secret with the most important people that matter in her life. Um, I think that just made her feel lighter. So knowing that, you know, we are with her completely, I think, uh, just lifted a hundred pound weight off her shoulders. So um, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, I'm so glad because now that they're a lot more open with you and you can go along with their journey, you know, whoever they find and they can openly share their feelings. I was just going to add that, that it's just so nice to be able to now talk to both the children equally and sharing their journey. And it's just made our relationship so much stronger. So today's episode is about an opportunity for couples who are trying to get pregnant. In medical terms, a couple that's considered to be going through infertility problems is a couple that has been trying to get pregnant for a year or more. And if a woman is over 35 years or older, it's six months. And women who can't get pregnant or unable to stay pregnant may also be infertile. According to the CDC, about 10% of women, 6.1 million in the U.S., ages 15 to 44, have difficulty getting or staying pregnant. Some things just never change, right? Like in the past and today too, people think that if a woman is not getting pregnant, it's the woman's fault. According to data, it's not always the woman. We know that. It could be either men or women that have problems that cause infertility. One third of the fertility cases are caused by women and the other one third um, are due to men. And then there's other cases that is a mixture of both male and female problems. So just a little um, going into the past, do you remember, like, could you ever tell anyone or your friends if you couldn't get pregnant or you were trying and we never we discussed, discussed stuff like that, let alone I IVF or all these other methods that have come out into play these days? No, never discussed it. I don't even know if back when I was pregnant, I've ever heard of IVF. Right. I don't know if you ladies. I think it was just coming out. It was the test tube baby. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. The test tube baby. It was back in the early 80s, maybe, that it was like the big discovery and a big hope for couples that couldn't have children. But I'm sure it was, it's been perfected now over the years. But I remember like even things like um, if you had a miscarriage, it was all very hush-hush. Nobody ever discussed it. Not trying to get pregnant. You had a miscarriage. Was, you know, like we've come a long ways in some respects, but obviously in some we haven't because if the woman is still being blamed if she if there's no pregnancy happening i'm not sure if it's blamed or the assumption goes right away to the woman right yeah 
it's just like, oh, there must be something wrong with your ovaries or your uterus or something. It doesn't go to man and the sperm, you know. I did not know about it. Yeah. And the struggles that couples are going through nowadays, really yeah. tough. I think science has come a long ways and I don't know about costs, but I'm sure, you know, um, it's probably a lot more accessible now than it was maybe in the past. Yeah, it seems like it's still pretty costly. According to some statistics, a single IVF cycle can range from 15 to 30,000 depending on the center and the patient's individual medical needs. That's a lot of money for an average middle yeah, class patient. And it doesn't always happen on the first try either. Correct. Yeah. And each case is different. They might require more injections or they might require more pills or so that's just an average. It would be nice to see more insurance companies cover some of that kind of cost for people who can't afford this. And so we have on board with us Nishita Doshi, who's going to talk to us about her journey on IVF. And so let's hear from Nishita. So Nishita, please tell us a little bit about yourself, then we'll go into the journey that you had. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm Nishita Doshi. I'm 37 years old. We went through IVF a year and a half ago after trying for about five years. And I've been married to my husband, Jay, for coming on 10 years now. It's always something that we've wanted to have was just a family and didn't know we would have to go through something like this <laughs> to, to fulfill that dream. So Nishita, can you explain what IVF stands for and what is the procedure about? So IVF stands for in vitro fertilization. It's, uh, it's exactly what, what it means. It's taking his sperm and your egg and then creating the embryo within your body. Yeah. So basically it's just like a really, really primed scientific process that doctors go through to make sure that if you are going through any type of infertility or any type troubles getting pregnant, it's one of the ways that back in the seventies, doctors have primed to make sure that we can all start families. So I wanted to say, if we could just go back to the very beginning, you got mm -hmm. married about 10 years ago. When was it that you decided, you realized you couldn't get pregnant? How did your thought process start with okay, these are the options. And how did you then come to IVF as your final option? We started trying maybe like 2015 or 16. I wasn't even aware that you would have to go to a doctor to see if everything's okay. I'm like, we thought the process was like straight shooting. Like, all right, this is what happens. You get married and then you go have children and that's it. People were like, oh, did you go to the doctor to get checked out? And I'm like, no, like you, you just have babies. There's never any problems. After about a year, I'm like, this is weird. That's not working. And then you start tracking your ovulation. So you have these ovulation test strips and you have these little, like they look like pregnancy tests, but they basically give you a little happy face if you're ovulating. And um, so you would wait until you got the happy face. And then you're like, okay, we have 48 hours. <laughs> like, Let's figure this out. <laughs> so it's true. What they show in the movies is really true. Like, honey, you need to come home now. And <laughs> That's pretty stressful. It's that timed to when, like, depending on your body temperature, depending on the time of the month, depending on if you even had a cycle that month. If you didn't, if you didn't, that means that you didn't shed any eggs. That means they're still in there. That could be a sign of something else. Like, there's so many little factors that go into this. Once I started testing ovulation, I'm like, okay, well, I am ovulating. I mean, it's giving me a happy face, so I feel like I'm good to go. And then 
and it still didn't happen. So then I went to my OBGYN and this was probably like two and a half years in and they did very regular tests. There's like four tests that they do to make sure everything's okay. And one of them is they inject this uh, glow in the dark fluid into your reproductive system and they could see if there's any blockages like within your fallopian tubes, it lights up. And so you could see, and they kept saying, everything's fine, keep trying. I had a question. Um, did your husband have to go through some tests as well? Not yet. It's one of those things where they don't think it's the husband until the very last minute. Like your very last test is like, well, let's check your husband. And I'm like, what if he was the problem all along? <laughs> I actually went to the fertility specialist on my own because I was frustrated because I kept getting, you're fine, you're fine. And so we went to the fertility specialist after that. She did even more tests. Among all of these tests, there's like, I, it feels like 25 blood draws a day. Like I feel, it felt crazy. Among all those tests, she even found everything was fine. Finally, they were like, try this. And then they tested Jay too. They tested his sperm and they said, he's fine. She said, try IUI. IUI is intrauterine insemination. So basically what they do is they prime your body to ovulate at a certain point in time. You take two shots the night before and they have his specimen sample waiting once you're primed and you've ovulated and your eggs have dropped, they time it so they transfer his sample into you at that moment. And that's kind of like the first step if you don't know what's going on. And so we did a, a test of that. It didn't work. And so my doctor told me, you have something called unexplained infertility, which is a very, very common diagnosis among women. And she explained it really well to me, to be honest. She said that after the sperm goes through the canal and it meets the egg, there's a point in time in your body where they can't regulate what's going on. So unexplained infertility. Your best bet is IVF because we have a lot more control. So then we started that process of IVF. That must have been so stressful. I mean, going through that whole process and reaching that conclusion. So you're also stressed and everything, and now you've yeah. decided to go through IVF. How was your family in this whole process? I don't know if I got my family involved until I decided to do IVF, just because it's one of those things where you don't want to say something. No offense to anybody, but my mom's the kind of person that checks in, right? So she's like, what's going on? What did the doctor say? And sometimes that's just not what you need at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I just decided that, okay, until we really know what we're doing, let's just wait, tell my parents. And so everyone kind of accepted it with open arms. I guess what Jay and I did was we told them like it was normal. So we didn't attach any stigma to it. So we were just like, yeah, we're, go we're doing IVF and that's what we're doing. Everyone received it that way too. Okay, cool. I feel like sometimes if you were like, oh no, I'm doing IVF. Don't tell anybody. They're like, oh my God, right? Then it becomes the same way you do. So we approached it in a way where we were able to just say it like it was normal life. I know you have to try that process, IVF, and see if it, I don't want to use the word working. Did you tell them after or when you were going through the... So when I was going through it, IVF, like priming process of your body is really hard to hide. So basically what happens, process is twofold. Start injecting hormones into your belly area, right around your hips, and you make your body produce as many eggs as it possibly can. And this is like a 13-day process process at a certain time in your cycle. And so once these eggs are produced, you go in 
to get your eggs harvested. So in my case, they were able to harvest 24 eggs in this cycle. At the same time, they've gotten Jay's sample as well. And so then they, they put it together. They see how many eggs get fertilized. And then in our case, we had 13 eggs that got fertilized. They were fertilized on day one. That day one blastocyst is what they call it, needs to reach a certain day point, like a day six or day seven, for it to actually be a viable embryo. And by that day, a lot of uh, blastocysts don't survive. So at the end of this process, I had three viable embryos. And so those three viable embryos are now given grades of like how, which one is the most like strong. At that point, we had these three embryos. They were frozen at the height of COVID, when the COVID vaccine came out. So my doctor was like, wait two months, get your COVID vaccine, let, you know, the vaccine settle down and then we'll transfer it. So after you have the embryos, like you'd start taking birth control or whatever other pill to make sure that your body's um, at a regular cycle, uh, giving yourself daily progesterone shots. Your body doesn't know it wants to get pregnant. And when you're naturally pregnant, you produce progesterone on your own. Mm -hmm. Progesterone is stable in oil. And so you have to inject this oil, which is a thicker liquid, which means it's a thicker needle, like on your backside every single day, at the same time, every single day for three months to make sure that when you transfer the embryo, you have enough progesterone to make sure it sticks mm -hmm. into your uterus. You go and get your transfer, you start injecting your body with progesterone to trick it into thinking it's pregnant. You poke yourself in the same spot every day for three months, like you're bruised, your, your muscles start to tighten up. Like I couldn't even walk for some of it. Like it was bad. At the end of it, he's stuck. And by, well, I told my mom right away, my dad right away, but by three months, super excited. But it was such a crazy process. I went through all of this. What if it doesn't work? I want to say something. Um, science has come a long ways. I know somebody, it's been a while, and they had to try a whole bunch of times, a lot of money, more than one one more than one time to get pregnant. And it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, after you go through all that and then to find out it didn't work emotionally, it can just take a huge toll on you. I tell people this all the time that it's not the physical part that's hard. The mental part is really, really hard. That's the toughest part to go through every single day. What if I didn't do something to maintain my pregnancy? What if I did this and this is what happened? What if I didn't take the shot on time? What could happen, right? And it's never you. It's just you play these games with yourself because of everything that you've been through. And there's a stigma against it. So people don't talk about it. So this right. the point is, it would have been so nice if you would have had people that said, hey, I've been through this. If this is how you're feeling, give me a call or it's okay. You know, like I wish you could have talked to someone or picked up the phone. Um, it's changing now though. Oh, it's totally changed. I did not feel that way one for one second. I had a huge community of people that were able to give me the support that I needed to make me feel less crazy, to give me like tips on how to like get rid of my bruising and like how to make it, you know, just physically better. It was complete 180. The sad part is my best friend who had done IVF five years prior to me didn't have any of that. So within like even a five year span, it changed so much. And then that's why I had people tell me, 
all the time, don't say anything. Don't tell anyone you're pregnant until 12 weeks. And I'm like, why, why, why? I've never been a very private person to begin with. Like, it is what it is. You see me, I'm walking all weird. Like, you're going to ask me questions. <laughs> like, and that's fine. But also, like, if it doesn't stick, you got to have that support group of people that will make sure that they're there for you when you need that. I don't know. Maybe I, I just need that. But like, you need those people to be like, I'm sorry you went through this or just sit there with you or to, you know, hold your hand or whatever it is that you need in that moment. I don't believe in waiting to tell. Like, I feel like it's great news and it's a part of life when you do get pregnant. And unfortunately, if it doesn't work out, that happens to way too many people. You're always going to have questions from people that don't understand. And it always comes from a place of them not being educated as to what it is. It comes from a place of not knowing it. They just don't know. And so they don't like the fact that you did something that was completely off track for what you're supposed to do. I remember when I told, I was really scared to tell some of my extended family and I just approached it like, hey, today we're doing the embryo transfer. Wish us luck. And then they were like, okay, good luck. And I think at one point I did send my dad an article. Like, hey, this is what happens. And he's like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. How you approach it or the education behind it. I think people think IVF is like turkey baster. Like, oh, cool. You just inject it right in and then, and then that's it. And like, they don't realize that it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money. How was Jay a support to you? I wish you had met Jay. You would have just known, but like, he's just so supportive regardless of any situation, but this was more so. And it required a lot of communication on our part, right? It was, hey, Jay, feeling really crazy emotional today. I don't know why. The way that you're sitting is irritating me. <laughs> and I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So I just want to let you know, it's not you. And I was in my own head, like I knew I was going a little bit nuts sometimes. So I was just like, I'm going to let him know. It's not him, but I feel like this right now. So he would back off or or know that like, you know, you want to eat some fruit, you need a back massage, things like that. A lot of this, I think he realized that when I'm going through some distress, I like to go through it by myself. I don't need someone to like hold my hand through it. So he stayed close but far. So he knew what I needed. And it's stressful for the guys too, right? Because yeah. it's also his child. He's seeing his wife go through this. Mm -hmm. He's also worried. That's what he said the whole time. He goes, I don't know how to help. And I'm like, you're doing more than you know. And um, the fact that you truly just ask me how I am every single day, that's a help. The fact that you are okay with my emotional roller coaster and you're being patient with me, that's a help. Because I did have to say ridiculous things to be like, <laughs> I'm going through something. I don't know what it is, but you're going to have to stay away for a little bit. <laughs> Did you have support groups or girlfriends that you would go out with, you know, going through that stress? So my best friend, she actually lives in Houston. So her and I would like FaceTime all the time, just keeping myself busy with the things that I love. Like I was still baking during that time. I believe it was basketball season. So the house was busy at night. <laughs> it was just little things to keep your mind off of it. I remember that the first trimester, I couldn't really eat anything. But then after that food was like, I must have the best meal of my life every single day. Something like, that. like I kept my mind busy. I, I got through it. Not to say I didn't have moments. Did you ever doubt your decision? For IVF? Yeah. I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, there's going to be days where you have to take it day by day 
and then sometimes hour by hour, and then sometimes minute by minute. And she says, when you have to take it minute by minute, just count to 60 and that minute's over and then and you could start all over again. But I doubted it when I was going through pain or some distress or things like that, where I'm like, I don't think I could take another shot again. I feel like I'm gonna go crazy if I have to do this again. In those senses, I was, I don't wanna do this again. And even after Rylan was born, I told Jay, I was like, I don't know if I could do this again. He's like, he's three days old. Can you stop thinking about this? <laughs> Enjoy him right now. <laughs> I don't know if I could do IVF again. You're like, well, you don't have to think about this for some time. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to the auntie generation and uncle generation? Number one thing, research and educate. Like just research. If somebody's telling you of their fertility issues, if you don't already know about it, research it, educate yourselves on it so that you know what this person is going through. My mom didn't know the process. She just knew in vitro fertilization, right? That's it. Know about it a little bit more. And I think that'll create some less stigma around it. This is by no means something anybody should do alone and if you can and you're strong enough to do that more power to you but i couldn't do it by myself so support group or getting through it another thing is that if you are thinking about doing it or if you have any questions talk to somebody who's already done it i don't know if this is a question that's on our list a lot of girls are you know having families a little later right so i don't know if that's part of the problem as far as like you know getting pregnant. What I wanted to ask was, would you advise girls these, in this day to, you know, freeze their eggs? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I wish I knew about doing this early on. And you're right. It is because we are having families later and we're older and it's just, our bodies are not, I mean, we have only a certain supply of eggs. That's it. And then we run out and, and then the supply gets worse and worse as we get older. And that's like scientifically that's just facts and that's what's going to happen. So when you are in the prime of 20s and your your late 20s, if, if freezing eggs is an option for you and it's something that you want to do, I think it is well, and you feel like you want a family in the future, just not now. Absolutely. 100%. I wish I knew about that. I didn't even know that was an option when I was growing up. Yeah. I mean, I've heard more and more um, conversations on it. I, you know, again, I think in the Indian South Asian community, it may not be looked upon as the thing to do, but I really honestly think that, you know, once you put away those feelings or those thoughts and what's better for the individual, then why not? You know, I would advise my daughter to, to do it. If there's no harm in it. Right. I mean, it's just like, absolutely. I think it's so it's something that needs to be normalized, especially because our whole typical 1950s family structure is not, that's not normal anymore. Right. Being normal is just whatever we want it to be at this point. Mm -hmm. So if you want it, want to have um, a family and you're not married, you can still have your family yeah. and that's completely normal now. So, yes. Thank you so much, Nishita, for joining us on our podcast. And uh, we wish you lots of luck in the future. Give Rylan a big hug from us all. Thank you so much. It was a lovely chat. That was really, really informative. Um, really opened my eyes to what kind of a journey you've been through. And I'm so happy that everything turned out well. IVF can be a very strenuous, very difficult procedure, 
And so there are five stages. The first one is called ovarian stimulation. Then they go to the egg retrieval. Then they go to the sperm collection and retrieval. Then the fertilization and embryo development. And then the embryo is transferred. I'm sure there's a lot of uncertainty, stress mm -hmm. that goes along with Yeah, that. yeah. I can imagine, right? So our next episode is going to be about travel. And Mala and me... RC, we are going to question Ritu with a lot of surprises about the travel industry. And we we'll pick her brain. So we yeah, we'll pick her brain together. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. And we can talk about different places and little secrets of travel. Yes, going to be on the hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do good, Ritu. Yes. I hope so. You're going to put me to the test. And then if anybody has any questions in advance, always feel free to reach out to us. We haven't asked for a while, but, you know, we're always here, ready to listen. We have our email, we have Instagram, we have our Facebook page. Love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Till next time, everyone. Till we meet again, remember life is not short. Life is unpredictable. So always, always strive to stay happy. And add a little spice to your life. And join us again for a little chit chat and chat.